RadioInfluence.com. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, listen, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Questions, comments, smart remarks, get to us there. You can follow us on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on all of the social media, search out Crush Performance, and we can hook up there for sure. Well, listen, a very quick start today. We have a lot of very important things to get to, and not a lot of time. So it is episode number three of our Talent and Talent ID series. Talent and Talent ID, along with the Crush Brain Game, are two of our major themes for 2021. And over the course of the year, we're going to be bringing you little mini-series from time to time that focus in on the important points and really, really key elements of both of these themes as we try to get to the bottom of it and get a better understanding so we can all move forward with purpose and understanding. No matter if you're an athlete, a coach, an administrator, a GM, or a parent of an athlete. If we can all get a better understanding of these two really important areas when it comes to developing human performance, I think it's going to be a game changer, and that's why we're focusing in on it. Last week, we focused on skill acquisition, and we talked about the difference between talent and skill. And there is a great difference there, especially when you're in the process of developing athletes and creating a learning environment. You have to understand the distinction between those two. We also talked about the concept of talent transfer and athlete transfer. Athletes going from sport to sport and how do talents transfer from training from other sports into the main objective of athlete and performance outcomes. Fascinating conversation last week. We're going to follow it up this week with a powerful conversation. We've got a lot to get to. So as I mentioned, it's going to be a quick start here. We'll be talking with Lou Fair, a sport researcher at York University, who is specialized in the area of talent ID. He's looked at the process of athlete selection and scouting and the professional drafts. And his findings have been absolutely fascinating. We're going to talk about where we're at in terms of our understanding of talent ID why we're really not that good at predicting future talent and some of the things we can think about to do a better job, not just in selecting talent, but selecting talent into environments where we can then develop them to their potential. It's one of the missing links. We'll also discuss the the role of the coaches in the organizations in that selection process. And we're going to talk about scouting, which is perhaps one of the most challenging positions in all of sport. I want to talk about what scouts are looking for when they're evaluating players, what they value and what they should be looking at. And we got to make sure that what the scouts are looking for is what the organizations truly value. You can't put the wrong athlete into the wrong organization. And what is valued can vary greatly from organization to organization. And as we've mentioned throughout this talent series, that's one of the challenges we have right now in the big picture of talent and talent identification. There's no real consensus on what is important and what we value, which is okay. We just got to make sure that if we're in an organization or if we're wanting to go to an organization, uh, there's a match there. So it's going to be a fantastic conversation coming up, everybody. Episode number three of our Talent and Talent ID series with Lou Farah right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. It's going to be a fantastic conversation.
If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, write Crusher at CrushPerformance.com and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, back to the Crusher. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody, as we dive into episode number three of our Talent and Talent ID series. Talent and Talent ID, of course, is one of our major themes here in 2021. And we are embarking here on a three-part mini-series as we dissect certain areas of this all-important topic. And on today's episode, we are focusing on the concept of Talent ID and predicting future performance. We're dismal at it. We are just not good at it, despite all the years and all the effort put in at all levels of sport. We really haven't gotten much better at identifying talent, and certainly we haven't gotten any better at all at predicting the future talent of our athletes and performers out there. So why is that? You know, if we can answer that question or get a better understanding as to why we haven't gotten much better, maybe we're focusing on the wrong things. Maybe we're not putting things in the right context. Maybe we're trying to rush too much. And maybe we're trying to look at things that aren't really there. Well, it's going to take much more than this conversation to find the answer, but maybe we can get everybody thinking about some of the things that we haven't thought about before, which is what the show is all about. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any smart remarks, which we love, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. If you have comments or ideas for the Crush Talent and Talent ID series, let us know. Hey, you know what? This is not a one-man show here. Collectively, we have got to explore everything in sport performance and certainly here in Talent and Talent ID and also in our Brain Game series, right? We've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas, and we answer every message we get. So if you just want some personal help with your young athletes, if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you are an athlete, I can guarantee one thing, if we don't personally have the answer, we know somebody that does and we answer every message we get. So please do write to us. Info at Crush Performance again is the email. All right, let's get to it. I'm fired up for this one. We're joined now by Lou Farah, sport researcher at York University, who has a special interest in talent ID and development. And his major focus has been the draft and in particular, the NHL draft. Lou, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, really excited for this conversation. Yeah, you know, Lou, when we look at our athletes that we work with over the years here at Crush Performance, I'm I'm always really interested in looking at the context and the pathways uh, to greatness, right? And what's driven these athletes or brought them to the point they're at when they're pursuing high-performance sports. And just like the athletes, the coaches develop through a pipeline, but also so do all the sports scientists and experts around it. Hey, what got you interested in this area of study in, in terms of sport performance when we talk about, you know, talent ID and scouting and drafting and identifying talent? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess, you know, I've always been interested in that question, too. Um, I always like to ask people in my field, like, how did you how did you get into this? What kind of led you to it? And it seems like everyone from at least from the people that I talked to, they all kind of ended up in it by coincidence. Um, I don't think anybody like grew up wanting to be a sports scientist. I think it just like finds you, <laughs> right. uh, but, um, yeah, it just seems that way. So yeah, in my case, I was, so I was an undergrad. Um, I was in third year, I think at the time. 
and I was taking health sciences and I just wasn't sure what my next step is going to be. Um, I always knew I wanted to work in sports. That's always been my dream. But in what capacity, in which way, I wasn't sure. And at the time, I think in fourth year, in my last year, I was looking into sport journalism programs and thinking maybe I'll go that way. And just because I, I kind of always wanted to work in sports, I also loved uh, math, statistics. Uh, I like science as well, but I wasn't sure that I can do both. And then last few months of my program, I I read that uh, UOIT, so the school that I was going to at the time, um, has a new sports science professor, Nick Wadi, who I'm sure you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was I was like, well, this is really cool. So I looked him up. I signed up for one of his courses, uh, went to a few lectures, and I was like, yeah, this is it. I think this is what I kind of want to do. And so, yeah, contacted him, uh, asked him if he was looking for a grad student. One thing led to another. Did my master's with him. Um, my master's was on early development of NHL athletes, so kind of like from their youth sport level. And after that, I thought, you know, I kind of want to take a more hands-on approach towards, um, you know, like later identification, like at the draft, uh, how to identify good players at the draft, how to develop them well, how to basically create good NHL players. And reached out to um, Joe Baker, who you've had on the show multiple times, and he was Nick's uh, supervisor at one point. Yeah, one thing led to another. We talked and uh, I said, hey, can I do a project on the NHL draft with you? And he said, yeah, this is the area I'm interested in. So, yeah, uh, next year, started working with him. And here we are four years later, about to be done. So that's kind of long story long, I guess. Yeah, and no, what a great story, though. That's a pathway. But but what an interesting way to sort of fall into things. And isn't it interesting how it goes? And you mentioned, you know, I you know, kids don't typically grow up, you know, dreaming to be sports scientists. I think the landscape is changing. Boy, boy, if you look at some of these whiz kids coming out of school now, getting into the statistical and analytic side of sport, but also the sports science side, you know, it's got such a high profile now. I know for a fact kids are going into kinesiology right now and into the sports sciences uh, with the dream of contributing to some degree at the higher levels of sport. A really exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, I think at the time, kind of sports science maybe started um, with in a mixture of fields, you know, from um, strength and conditioning and maybe some skill acquisition, stuff like that. It was a bit too general. And like you said, over time, it got to be a bit more specialized. And so now you're starting to get more and more people who are actually pursuing it in undergrad, too. So it's not like something that they only look at for the masters or something. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's, that's the case in a lot of fields, right? Yeah, it really, it really is, Lou. I think it's, it's an exciting time for everybody. You know, when I started, I did my degree at University of Calgary and I, I was fascinated by sport. And again, you know, I was one of those kids growing up that I just never had the tenacity to stick with one sport. You know, at the end of hockey season, I couldn't wait for spring soccer and baseball. And when baseball was over, I couldn't wait for fall football and, and whatever the fall volleyball and basketball, yeah. right? I was one of those guys. And one of the things I do really appreciate, and you mentioned all your work on what creates a great NHL player. The one thing I really do appreciate about any elite performer in a sport is just their ability to dedicate and focus on one sport to the level that gets them to that to that expert expert level of performance. It's it's a fascinating conversation for me, but it's something that I totally totally appreciate. 
because I just can't do it. I am a sort of a butterfly in the wind, which has served me well, though, because I've kind of got a good reference point in multiple areas of, of human development. But but boy, boy, do I appreciate those elite performers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at elite performers, elite athletes, um, whatever you measure about them, they're probably at the extreme tail end of things. And especially when it comes to perseverance, uh, like those who make it to the, to the top level, you, you, you can't have an average level of perseverance to make it there. Super impressive. Yeah, what a great word that is, perseverance. We're talking with Lou Farah, sport researcher at York University. The idea of perseverance, though, I mean, that is that is a pretty special word that I don't think we hear quite often enough. You know, when we talk about the whole area of development and talent and talent ID, Lou, one of the main things um, that I've always been fascinated in is, you know, maybe our our, our lack of understanding of what talent is. And, you know, we had Dr. Joe Baker on, as I mentioned, kicking off this series. And one of the things we got into in our conversation was the fact that we don't really have a consensus on what talent is. I mean, you know, he mentioned in some of the conversations around the lab and the work that they've done there over at York University, which you're part of, is, you know, if you ask 10 different elite coaches or administrators or GMs what talent is, you'd probably get 10 different answers. And and that really is is a root problem in, in the whole process here, don't you think? Yes, I think that's a big uh, a big hurdle in the field. And uh, not only in the field, but also for, for, you know, practitioners too, scouts, coaches, whoever it might be. Um, like you said, if you ask 10 different people, you might get 10 different answers. Uh, the... The general consensus seems to be that it's something that, you know, talent is something that you're born with, uh, something that you develop over time. Um, but also for the most, for the most part, it's something you either have or you don't have. And that's fine and everything. But then when you get to talk about like the different attributes of athletes, then how do you really decide whether they're born with it or not? Um, and also which parts of it they're born with or not? You look at Michael Phelps, for example, like that's an example that always gets brought up. His talent might be considered the fact that his body composition is just different, like the proportions of his legs to his torso and so on. So that could you consider that talent just because he was, you know, physiologically born this way? Or would you consider that, uh, would you consider only part of his skill set to be the talent or maybe his mentality, right? So it's just a huge gray area. No single definition, and I think it just makes things uh, a lot more confusing. But uh, I think I think for the most part, people in academia and research are really concerned with finding like definitions and stuff like that. Um, but I think I think there are bigger fish to fry when it comes to talent ID than the specific definition of it. Mainly, like how do we identify it well? How do we develop it well? How do we predict future performance? Um, that's these are for me i feel like these are the bigger the bigger questions yeah and that's the area you specialized in and one of the one of the reasons i was so excited to have you on the show here this whole idea of predicting future performance oh yeah. my gosh talk about a rabbit hole we're about to go down we're about to open pandora's box for everybody out here because we're really not good at it are we you know i've always been fascinated by let's say the professional drafts you know i spent the majority of my time uh, though I did work with in, in the NHL and pro football and certainly at the collegiate level in recruiting and athlete development, I spent the majority of my uh, high performance career as a strength conditioning coach and performance guy in Major League Baseball. And I've always was fascinated by the draft and the drafting process uh, in all sports. And, and, you know, when you look at the numbers of 
and the effort that's put into selecting athletes and the numbers of those athletes, the number of those athletes who are actually successful inside the system. Boy, oh boy, we've got a big, big problem on our hands because we're not that good at predicting future talent, are we? Yeah, I mean, the the short answer, I guess, would be no, we, we aren't. But I think the long long answer, I think that's probably what you're looking for, is we're, we're not good at it, but I would like to think that we are getting better. Yeah. I think I think we, we are uh, slowly but surely getting better at it with implementation of more evidence-based approaches and more involvement of uh, research and development into those decisions. And I think we are getting better. Uh, the important thing to remember when we're talking about talent ID, predicting future performance, um, and the draft. And I think for the most part, what I can speak to is, is the draft, because that's the area that I specialize in, as opposed to youth sport. But at the draft, it's important to remember that. Um, take the weather forecast, for example. Okay, You're trying to predict the weather. And if you're trying to forecast the weather, you'll be pretty accurate within a week or two out. Um, maybe three, anything beyond that point, you're basically looking at historical averages, right? You're not even, you're not really making that accurate of a forecast. Right. And that's the weather where all the elements are measured by uh, radars. They're measured by satellite. They're, I mean, they're super readily available data. And that's still hard to forecast a month out. Now take human beings who are, you know, so unpredictable. I mean, human beings, we're, we're loose cannons of species, really. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Behavior, I have, hey, Lou, I have yeah. three daughters. I have three daughters. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so you take a human being, uh, unpredictable, and, and our behaviors and our attributes are super hard to measure too, right? You can't really measure them that reliably or objectively for the most part. And now you're trying to predict how a human is going to perform four or five, six years down the road. Uh, I mean, of course the, of course the forecast is going to be bad. Of course it's going to be um, not accurate. Right. And so that's basically what talent ID with the draft is. It's forecasting. And it's, uh, I mean, people have their work cut out for them in that department. Scouts, I think have the probably, you know, it's not one of the toughest, the toughest job in an organization. Um, that's not to say that it's hopeless, though. I think that's probably what we're going to get into in today's episode, too, is like there are ways to improve it. There's a lot of strategies that you can put in place to, to enhance it, and which is going to lead to better forecasts over time. Right. We're talking with Lou Farah, sport researcher at York University, who's looked extensively into the drafting of professional athletes and most particularly in the NHL. Hey, Lou, this is a great conversation and a great way to start the kick to kick, kick it off here today. You know, if we were to sort of ask you in all of your research and all of your work you've done into drafting elite players, what are some of the main issues you think that we're facing in predicting future talent as we just talked about? Are, are there, are there, are there some major key points you would focus in on right now? Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the main issues we face in in predicting future performance in the draft is, I would say I would say in, in no particular order, but one of them is the lack of association between what is valued by teams and what actually predicts future performance. Mm. So, the technical term for that, I guess, is predictive validity. So, the lack of predictive validity of a lot of things that we value in sport. Um, is one of the big issues in TID. So I think an important question, you know, for scouts or, or teams to ask themselves is, do I value those things in a player because 
I personally like those things? Or is it because they are actually linked to better future performance down the road? And I think if you ask that question, the majority of people would say, no, I, I value them because they lead to better predictions. But the truth is not that. The truth is that we value certain things in players because we kind of like those things. Um, and what I mean by that is like, whether there are certain character traits, whether they're uh, physiological traits like height, um, whether it's like the physicality of the player, whatever it might be. One of the biggest issues is that a lot of things that teams value when they're drafting players um, really don't have that much predictive validity. I would, I would kind of start with, with that point if I was to kind of um, try to enhance my department's scouting strategies. I would, I, would, I would go back and look at historical data. I mean, it's available there. Uh, look at my department's uh, decisions and drafting. What have we been valuing? So far, what have we been drafting based on? I would text my scouting reports that I have um, and study the relationship between what was overvalued in the draft and then, or what was valued in the draft, and then what actually leads to where those players ended up and go from there. Look at what's being undervalued, what's being overvalued. I love that perspective, Lou. That makes so much sense to me because we have all that data. We know basically where every draft pick from the beginning of time has wound up. And we have almost every number on every player in the history of sport right. and especially recently in this statistical age we're in. So that seems very, very doable. And that seems like a really exciting uh, um, uh, approach for any organization to get involved in. And if I think big picture here, I think that what we might extrapolate from that kind of work at the professional level, there could be a serious and very important trickle down effect through the developmental levels as well. I love the concept, Lou. And maybe we could just revisit that for a second. Uh, the predictive validity, you know, what we value yeah. as a team, is that actually what truly turns out to be, you know, a talent and success down the road? So that would be something like, okay, hey, look, we we really value hardworking character guys, right? Uh, we could draft mm. hardworking character guys till till the sun comes up and goes down, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to equate to success. That's what we're saying here, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know what uh, what teams have identified as things that lead to better performance in the future uh, maybe things have changed now but a lot of it comes from kind of not actual empirical analysis i don't think um again things might have changed but mainly from what teams uh favor in a player whether that's because it fits their identity better whether right. that's because um in the mindset of the gm and the scouts that's, that's what they like in a player but what we like and what leads to good performance in the future may not be the same thing. And also, you know, it's important to, to, to remember that in the draft, you have such a homogenous sample of, of players or of athletes that they're really closely, um, you know, they, their scores on a lot of things, whether there's character traits or whatever it might be, it's really close together, right? You're not getting a sample of novice athletes, intermediate, uh, high level no, I mean, when you get to the draft, you're mid to high level and above. So the differentiating factors between those players is really, really small. Mm -hmm. And that's why you've got to make sure that whatever you're basing your predictions on or your decisions on, sorry, uh, does actually relate to how they turn out in the future. Yeah, Lou, you know, that makes great sense. It almost seems like common sense almost, you know. 
there is certainly something that we do need to change in order to have greater success at predicting future talent. And, and maybe it's not just our ability to predict future talent. It's our ability to identify where an athlete's at and then help them develop into the future as well. So, so interesting conversation for sure. Hey, we got to cut up for a quick break. When we come back, let's dive into your work looking at the NHL draft. I've really been looking forward to this. I've read some of your stuff and I can't wait to look at the takeaways of your research when it comes to identifying talent, selecting players, and also what the scouts are looking at. A real important part of the system right there. We have to cut up for a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking drafting talent right here on Crush Performance. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush Newsletter, podcast and performance info at crushperformance.com. Now back to the show. I have done nothing short of walking on water for the sun to find my love and welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Thanks for hanging in over the break. Listen, we are into episode number three of our Talent and Talent ID series. Today, we are talking to Lou Farah, sport researcher at York University, who has specialized his research looking at the NHL draft, selecting talent, talent ID, and the NHL draft. What a great combo and what a great topic here for our talent series. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info. At Crush Performance is the email at our website. You can subscribe to the podcast, get our newsletter, and keep your eyes open for our new website. That will be coming soon. Okay, let's get back to it. Lou, thanks for hanging on over the break. It's been a fantastic and incredibly interesting discussion so far. And the area of talent, talent ID, but more importantly, talent selection has always fascinated me. And maybe more so because we're really not that good at it. After all of the effort and all of the time and resources put into selecting the best talent possible, boy, oh boy, we're just missing something right there. I'm really interested to get into your work looking at the NHL draft and trying to better understand some of your findings there. Lou, in your research, have there been any major surprises, something that sort of stopped you in your tracks, made you scratch your head and and contemplate this whole idea of selecting talent or has it panned out more or less the way you had expected? I'm really fascinated by this stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess that kind of reminds me when, when earlier you asked me, well, what are the main issues we face in, in talent identification at the, in the draft? And one of the things I told you was the, uh, the predictive validity of things we value. Um, I just thought of two other things. Maybe I'll, I'll list them out if we have some time here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they could be some takeaway points or, uh, I think aside from the validity, one other thing that's really important to keep in mind for the draft is is the reliability of, of scouting data that you get on players. And by reliability, I don't mean, you know, whether the source is reliable or not. What I mean is by reliability is like to what degree are we able to measure the attributes of players when we're evaluating them in an accurate way? that's, you know, void of bias as much as possible and that's accurately measured as much as possible. Um, And so this is kind of when we get into scouting data and the importance of treating scouting reports and scouting language as data, right? So it's it's like if you you measure some some things about players in the draft, like draft-eligible prospects, let's say they're they're height, their weight, their combine measures, 
their on-eye stats or whatever it might be. All of that is data, correct? And so you want to make sure that this data is is uh, reliable. Right. The same, you have to treat scouting reports in the exact same way. Language has to be treated as data. Uh, even though it's just words and it's qualitative, it's got to be treated the same way as quantitative data. So it's got to be reliable as well. And I think the, the, the first step to start there is to kind of start by definition. Start by making sure that everyone in the room in the scouting department um, is operating under the same terminology. You know, they all, it, hockey sense, for example, I'm sure you've heard of it multiple times. And maybe for people listening who may not be familiar with it, it's kind of, it's a measure of a player's intelligence or his decision-making. Um, start with stuff like that. Like, what is the definition of hockey sense for each scout? Make sure everybody is on the same page when it comes to definition. Um, beside definitions, make sure that the components that go into uh, evaluating and identifying hockey sense in the player are the same thing. So if scout A, when he's evaluating hockey sense, looks at um, turnovers and, and maybe um, how many times the player coughs up the puck and how he handles the puck under pressure, does he panic or does he not, for example, while another scout considers hockey sense to be something else, right? Like how, how, how creative is he with the puck, et cetera. So these components are different. So that means that scout A, when evaluating hockey sense, is looking at apples. Scout B is looking at oranges. And then when it comes time before the draft meetings and you're, you know, putting up a player on the board and saying, okay, what do we think of this player? Well, scout A is looking at something entirely different than scout B. And right. what's that going to create is going to create a lack of inter-scout reliability of data. And the more, you know, the, the lower the reliability of data you get, the higher the chances are of making inaccurate decisions and inaccurate selections of the draft, right? So a good place to start with there is language, treating language as data and make sure that language is reliable as much as possible. Yeah, that kind of makes sense from a, you know, if you just think about it, that kind of just makes kind of logical sense, but it's something that maybe we don't think about quite enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like um, a lot of it is people think it's implied. Because these terms are so commonly used, like, uh, you know, his hockey sense or his grit or his heart or whatever it might be, especially when it, when it gets to tangibles. Um, a lot of the stuff we think is implied, like, oh, yeah, everybody knows what that means. Well, yeah, everybody knows what that means, but in their own definition and their own way of interpreting it. But if you ask 50 scouts, well, what do you think hockey sense is? Well, you might get 30 different answers. Right. If not 50. Right. And so that, that, that's going to create a lot of confusion. Um, maybe not maybe not apparent confusion, but what that's going to create is it's going to create a lot of disconnect in measurement. And I think it's like a good analogy to think about it is you're trying to measure a player's uh, bench press in the, in the combine. Right. So if you take the, the exact same player and you put him on two uh, benches, you're going to get the same reading. Why? Because the two benches have the same di- dimension. Yeah, though the bar weighs the same on both benches, the weight on them is the same. So you're going to get the same reading. So that's the reliability of data you're getting there is good. Then you pick the same player, two scouts are evaluating him on the exact same attributes. You might get different reading or different data because one scout defines the attribute in different ways. 
sure. uh, has, has different components associated or behaviors associated with each of those attributes, has different weights assigned to each of those components under that attribute. And so you're going to get the two different readings, right? Right. And that's, that's going to create a problem in the room, in the, in the war room. So like an example there, hey, Lou, sorry to interrupt, but you really got me thinking here. An example there might be yeah. uh, one, one of those scouts, you know, has the classic barbell bench press, bench press score. Uh, the, other, the other scout maybe to evaluate a similar or that similar trait uses a Swiss ball dumbbell bench press, which is an entirely different metric than it's still bench press, but you're going to get two right. very different uh, um, analytical outcomes there. Perfect analogy. Exactly. Exactly. So both of them, you know, both scouts have, uh, have somewhat of the same general idea. Um, but the way they're measuring things, the way they're looking at things is a bit different. And that, that's going to, over time, the lack of reliability or inter-scout reliability is going to lead to more inaccurate decisions. And it's not disagreements that we're worried about here, uh, because I think disagreements are, should be encouraged in the war room. It's, um, it's the, the the higher chance of error. That's the problem. Right, right. I talk, I really like that. We're talking about Lou Ferris, sport researcher from York University. I like that. And and I think what you said there is really, really important. Clarity, clarity and consistency. So, <laughs> you, oh my gosh, you got me thinking about a conversation with my, with my uh, 17 year old daughter uh, a few weeks back. I said to her, well, hey, make sure you don't stay out late. She goes, okay, I won't stay out late. And then she drives off and my wife is just sitting there patiently looking. And after she leaves, she goes, um, so what is late to you? I'm going, well, you know, 10, 30, 11. What do you think late is to a 17 year old teenager? I'm going, oh, damn. <laughs> so I, I start texting away. You better be home by midnight, Missy. Or da, 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 da. You know, because late for a teenager is four in the morning. Right. Or, or being not late is four in the morning for crying out loud. Yeah, or sometime before the weekend. Yeah, yeah right. Before you Monday. Know. Yeah, I'll be back before Monday. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll be back in time for school on Monday. <laughs> you got to be careful, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to make sure. You got to make sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess a, a, another kind of takeaway um, or, or something to focus on if we have time is, is, to, is to really make sure the, the scouting evaluations have as, as minimal bias in them as possible. Um, and that's really hard to do because it's evaluations, well, I guess human judgment in general, us as humans, we we can never really make judgments that are completely void of bias entirely. But what we can do is kind of know which biases exist out there in talent identification. There's, there's an amazing amount of research on uh, sports-specific cognitive biases. Right. And make sure that these are in check. Make sure that these are kind of taken care of. Um, everybody knows about this, the more commonly known ones like recency bias, for example, and stuff like that. But there's just a lot more out there that really have a direct impact on how we evaluate players, like uh, availability bias, anchoring effect, narrative bias, um, halo effect, loss aversion. Like there are so many out there that I see firsthand in scouting reports that I, that I work with in my thesis, and that also, you know, in my in my experience working in uh, with a couple of pro sports teams. And I would say that these are super important to keep in check. Yeah, no, I really like it, Lou. You know, interesting, interesting conversation here today as we talk talent and talent ID, the talent selection process is just as 
convoluted and complex as anything else in sport for sure. And this has been a really enlightening conversation. So many important things to talk about. You know, getting back to our conversation, you know, about talent, talent ID and what you mentioned earlier in the conversation about, you know, the weather and, you know, the earlier we try to predict the talent, the less successful we are. You know, I saw a schematic here a few years ago and we talked about this extensively on the show because I'm not a big fan of early selection for elite pathways. I just think along with what you said, we're missing way, way too much talent. We may be eliminating that talent from, from the, from the pathways because people, kids just get frustrated and they drop out and they quit. But um, one of the interesting schematics I saw was a breakdown of, I think 12 Bantam hockey drafts for, you know, from like 2008 to, you know, 2000 and, whatever the heck it was, 12, 13 or 14 or whatever. But it was looking at the top five picks of each year and then looking back on their NHL careers, first of all, who played in the NHL, who didn't, and then how many games they played in the NHL. And, you know, that schematic right there really started my thought process on how dismal we are at predicting future success in sport. It was an alarming schematic. I'm going to try to uh, find that again and post it. But but for the number of players per year that actually made the NHL to the top five, it was dismal, a dismal selection process, Lou. Yeah, and that's not like that's not exclusive to youth uh, youth draft systems either. I've seen seen quite a bit of studies on uh, on uh, youth soccer selection, youth swimming, uh, tennis. I think for the most part, if you handball, even in Europe, like if you look at it in general, and there are some exceptions, but. In general, those who are, you know, successful early on, or maybe even successfully selected early on, for the most part, they're not the ones who are going to be excelling at at later ages, right? Um, a lot of things go into it: late developers, late bloomers. Uh, things change. Um, commitment towards the sport, uh, distractions, whatever it might be. All of those things, and that kind of reminds me of an important point too. When we're talking about talent identification, like, and when it's inaccurate, and when selections are inaccurate, the first place we start pointing fingers is scouting and talent ID personnel, whatever, right. whoever it might be, maybe coaches or whatever. But a lot of it also falls on the development that happens after selection. I mean, I wonder when I look at the draft, I just wonder how many of those. Um, draft picks that didn't pan out how many of them would have actually panned out with the right development right um you know when you start like distributing the uh i don't want to call it the blame but like the responsibility of, of why this pick turned out or not how how much of it really is on scouting i, I wonder yeah no oh boy that's an hey that's our that's our third pandora's box for today wow <laughs> we're really stirring it up but it's so true right if you put an athlete you select a great talented athlete um at that point in time and you put him into a system that doesn't foster and support future development of course that athlete is going to have a real hard time uh moving forward it's just it's such a such a conundrum out there and you have to be aware of this, but I think we're becoming more aware, Lou, don't you think? I think we're getting better, as you mentioned, right from the get-go. Uh, some exciting things on the horizon, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, fairly optimistic that things will, things are getting better and will get better. And like I said before, it will never be 100%. And I don't think anybody's aiming for that. But let's say, you know, if the, I think one of Joe's studies uh, was, 
said that the drafting accounts for about 17% or so of future games played across all four major sports leagues. Or no, that's the highest across all four major sports leagues, right? Right. So it accounts for 17%. And I would I would think that things are getting better and, and you, you're you never going to aim for 100%, but I think things will get to like, you know, uh, 20, 25, something like that. Even if, even if it gets to 30, I think that's amazing to be honest. Oh, that's a huge number in in, in that yeah. level of sport. Uh, that is a big, big number, and I do like the I do like the onus and the focus on uh, post selection development. Such a huge opportunity for any organization out there, and there's already some great things going on in sport. Hey, Lou, thanks so much for the conversation today. Hey, just you know, for the parents, the athletes, the coaches, and the organization administrators who listen to the show each and every week. Um, any closing remarks from you in terms of talent ID and your work on the NHL draft and things that we may should we maybe should be thinking about uh, holistically as a as a sporting I guess community? Yeah, um, I'm wondering how how I can kind of wrap it up in some consumable way. Um, I, I would say that yeah, to, to everyone who was involved in in making selections and evaluating talent, making sure who who goes through and who doesn't um, just to really take a step back and reevaluate the, the predictive validity of your process over the things that you value, um, you know, kind of take some time to question, play your own devil's advocate. Are you, are you, are you valuing those things because you like them or because you know that they're going to lead to better performance in the future? Um, make sure that, you know, your process is as, has as minimal bias as possible. Again, not not perfect because it's not going to be, but minimal bias as possible, and just make sure that your whatever process you use to measure players' uh, attributes and whatever you value in them, it's as reliable as possible. And I think if you just keep doing that over time, um, the, the selection is just going to get better and better. Are they going to get perfect? Again, no, because if you put things in forecasting lens, uh, no forecasts are are perfect. And there was a great quote one time. I read it one time. It's like, there are two types of forecasts, lucky or wrong. And <laughs> I think that, in, you know, in sports, I think they don't have to fall in one or the other. They can be just, you know, genuinely good forecasts. But if you keep doing those those things um, as good as possible over time, things will be better. Great stuff. Two kinds of forecasts, lucky and wrong. Beautiful stuff, Lou. Hey, listen, really, really appreciate this conversation today. What a huge, huge contribution to the Crush Talent and Talent ID series here this year. We'll look forward to staying in touch and continuing this conversation, Lou. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, I really appreciate it and had a great time chatting. Okay, there you go, everybody. Lou Farah, sport researcher at York University. He's working towards his PhD. And what an incredibly interesting fascinating and important topic sure for sport but for anywhere we're working to get better to improve our performance inside sport outside of sport fascinating there's a lot of common themes between sport and academics and school work even inside of businesses you know if you're trying to climb the corporate ladder and get to the sea level when it comes to developing talent and skills you know sports just one platform but it's so measured it's fascinating to look at because it gives us a lot of good information and feedback on one, what we're doing right two, where we need to go and three, what we've done wrong until now, because we're just still not that great 
at identifying and selecting talent, especially when we're looking towards the future. The good news is, as Lou said, we're getting better at it. And part of that is discussions like this. So I have to thank Lou Farah for joining us today. All right. Episode number three of our Talent and Talent ID series in the bank. You guys can go back to our website, crushperformance.com, and listen to the whole series and every other show that we've ever done here on Crush Performance. It's all about sharing information, getting an understanding, and helping everybody think about things that they might not have thought about before. What a beautiful thing to do. And I, for one, absolutely love this stuff. Coming up next week, we have another blockbuster episode in our Talent and Talent ID series as we talk with Dr. Alex Roberts from Latrobe University in Melbourne, Australia. She specializes in sport and exercise science and sport coaching. We're going to talk to her about her research on the coach's eye, where she explored coaching decision-making during talent identification. This is going to be a fascinating conversation as we look at how important coaches are in our sporting system. And they are incredibly important, maybe more important than we even realize, maybe more important than they realize. Are we supporting our coaches in the right way? And how do coaches view talent? We're going to look at the very unique phenomena that explains why coaches pick certain players for their teams and why we need to pay attention to that in our sporting system from the grassroots right up to elite sport a fascinating conversation coming up next week until then everybody get out there have some fun be safe and most of all get better talk to you next week right here on crush performance hey it's rock riley and i am so jacked up i got a new podcast once a week it's the rock stops here i'm gonna be talking with athletes and entertainers current and former on making it to the promised land to the top and what happens when it's all over and you don't know what to do and you got family problems and money creeps in and the health and all that jazz real talk no more corporate bs i can call it like it is the rock stops here with me rock riley can be found anywhere you find your podcasts and radioinfluence.com <laughs>